All right, if you got your Bibles, Proverbs 15, we're finishing up this series today. I'll call it Foolproof on Learning Wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Uh, I hope that maybe as we've gone through this series, you've got a new uh, taste for the book of Proverbs and a taste for wisdom. And uh, I, I encourage you, there's a great uh, practice. I've mentioned it before. There's 31 books in the book of Proverbs. Like spending a day reading each book of Proverbs is a great way to ingrain that into you. Uh, sometimes I know people read the same proverb every day for a month, and then they move on to the next one just to ingrain that wisdom into them. But it has been a study over the last few weeks of wisdom and what wisdom is, where it comes from, how we go on this journey, how we make it part of our life. And we've been ending this series looking at the words of wisdom, because the words of wisdom are actually how wisdom is eventually expressed in our life, how it comes out how we deal with it, how we interact with each other, even how we interact with God, the words we tell ourselves. These are all important, and they are the fruit of wisdom. And we can even take the wisdom that we think we've got, and then we let our words never be impacted by them. And we looked at Proverbs 18.21 last week, said this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And last week we really began to understand this concept that words are powerful. They are powerful. They carry great weight. The impacts stick with us longer than any physical attack we might receive. And as a matter of fact, we can even look back on our self-perspective, our self-view of who we are, and often trace those to words that were spoken to us, good or bad, by parents, siblings, teachers, friends, at an early age that still impact us. I mean, if you, had a, if you were bullied as a child, you can still remember those words that were spoken to you. If you were the bully, maybe you look back on with regret on the words that you used. You can remember what your parents said to you and how they said it to you in moments of great joy and moments of great despair. We all have those words that are powerful in our lives. And last week we started looking at this section of scripture in Proverbs 15 and how our words can either be an expression of wisdom in our lives or our words can be an expression of foolishness. There really isn't another option for our words. It's either wisdom or foolishness. They'll add value through wisdom or they'll create trouble through folly. And we're going to continue to look and finish up this passage out of Proverbs 1, 15, 1 through 7 this morning. But before we read anything else this morning, I want to remind you of the challenge that I gave you last week, which is this, to actually challenge you to do something with what we're looking at today. This is one of those topics, especially with our words, where it's so easy to think, yeah, that's good, that's true, I should do that. And then we walk out of here and we never let it change how we speak. We actually don't start taking thoughts captive and start saying, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that, or maybe I should start saying it a different way. These are practices that need to ingrain themselves in our life. And while this passage talks about some foolish ways to speak, the real power is not just in eliminating foolish words. The real power is picking up the words of wisdom and beginning to speak those in our life. And so last week we looked at, first and foremost, how to deal with conflict. Said a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And we said wise words are words of composure that put out the fire of conflict. And foolish words are more like combustion that just add fuel to the fire. Make it bigger. We just spew words and all of a sudden the fire is bigger than we ever intended. And the second thing was we talked about when we give counsel in relationships. And it says, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. 
And we said wise words give advancement in people's lives. They're thoughtful. They have intent. We sometimes don't say more than we need to say. But foolish words just become an obstruction. We talked about how it just boils over. And sometimes our words, we just end up saying so much that we bog people down with our words and our thoughts and our opinions. And we should be very careful how we interact in both of those areas, in conflict and in counsel. And today we're going to finish up this passage and look at some other areas of, uh, of our lives and how our words are impactful. So Proverbs 15, 4 is where we'll start today. And it says this, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. This passage, again, gives us two very different ways and two very different outcomes of using our words. And the situation we're going to talk about in this relational situation is something we will often find ourselves in, and it's when we begin to understand what it means to exercise authority in relationships. Authority in relationships. Well, you may say, well, I'm not an authority in here. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, elected official. I'm not something somebody would look at as an authority. And sometimes our elected authorities aren't people we want to look at as authorities, right? And so it's not just about position, but what I want you to understand is every person sitting in this room, no matter what age, from the youngest to the oldest, at some point in your life, and more often than not, will hold positions of authority. Having authority is one of the biggest privileges and responsibilities we can have. Maybe it'll be as a parent, a boss, a mentor, or just key moments in friendships when we get to speak with authority in somebody's life. When we think of authority, though, we often think of someone who has abused authority or has taken it too far. Does it make being under authority something pleasant for us? I mean, when even you hear that word, most of us aren't be like, yes, more authority in my life, please. Like, just give me more. I mean... I don't know about, I'm, one of the reasons I love not driving anymore is I have a pretty heavy foot when I drive. And I like going fast, especially on open roads. And I've had more than my share of encounters with the authorities on the street while I'm driving. And there is no worse feeling than you like cresting a hill in your car and you see them sitting there in the media and you're like, ah, oh. and you're like, please God, no, please God, no, like my prayer life kicks in immediately, and I think God's answer to that prayer was like, I mean, here they come, I mean, it's, you know, he's like, you need to slow down, and they pull up, and you know, what's the question? Excuse me, sir, do you know how fast you're going? And my thing is, I was, no, I don't, like, I'm just like, I I wasn't really paying attention, I know it's going fast, and he tells me, I think the worst ticket I ever got, I was 16 years old, I was doing 72 and a 40, uh, in a... Uh, in an area that it was at night, nobody was around, but it was a bad thing. I was working at a restaurant, at the, a fast food restaurant at the time. I have my fast food employee shirts on as I'm driving home. And he gets on and he's like, sir, have you been drinking? And I was like, no, I, maybe some Coke at the restaurant, but that's it. But uh, I got a bad take at that time. But that, when somebody exercises authority in our life, we don't typically like it. We get nervous. We get anxious. We feel like they're going to abuse it. But the truth is, we should all long for healthy and wise authority in our lives and long to be healthy and wise authority in other people's lives. And this verse gives us distinction between these two types of experiences. And first it says this in verse 4a, a gentle tongue is the tree of life. What I want you to see is this. Wise words here, what we're going to learn is they refresh us. 
Wise words of authority bring refreshment into our life. And if you're exercising authority, you have an opportunity to bring refreshment into someone's life. The idea of using gentle tongue or gentle speech, again, it's one of those words we hear and we think of somebody using, speaking to us quietly, reserved, or timid. But the word gentle here, here would be much better understood as a nudge or slow push in the right directions, not a shove. It's the idea of seeing something starting to veer in the wrong direction and just giving a slight nudge back in the right direction, giving it a rope, a guideline to go in gentle words. It's like stay within the guidelines. If you've ever gone bowling and you see, like when you bowl with kids and they put those bumpers up on the side so they don't get gutter balls, that's kind of the answer. Like it's going to go that way, it's going to nudge it back in so that you actually hit something, you don't get so frustrated. That's what authority, the right authority does in our life. When we're getting into the gutter, it knocks us back in the right direction. A gentle tongue isn't quiet, reserved words. Instead, they are words that bring healing and refreshment into the lives of others. It is the exercise of authority with the good of the other person in mind instead of our own good in mind. That's when authority gets out of control. A good word, a gentle word of authority is this. It's correcting and not controlling. It's correcting and not controlling. When we hear sometimes authority that's been abused, it's controlling authority. But correcting authority communicates the wise choices instead of just saying, do this. Just do this. It's actually correcting. It's helping us understand instead of just pushing us right back, shoving us in a direction. This is, you know, the, the term we always use as a parent sometimes. And I always said I would never use when our kids ask why. Instead of correcting, I'll say, just because I said so. Just because, just please do it because I said so. And I always said as a child, when my parents told me that I would never use it, PJ and Natalie can both attest I have reverted to that language. As a parent, sometimes it's like easier. But that's trying to just control behavior versus correct behavior. A gentle word corrects. A gentle word also teaches instead of punishes. It gives reason, explanation, instead of just doling out consequence. You mess up, go to your room. I want you out of my sight. Just get out. That's punishment. Instead, punish it. Teaching is correcting. It's helping to understand and give thought behind it. A gentle word is also directing and not boasting. It has desires for other to grow instead of me just demonstrating my mastery. It, it allows me to say, hey, this is what you can grow to be like instead of saying, you're, you're the stupid one, I'm the smart one. It's not boasting, it's directing. And then finally, it's encouraging and not belittling. A gentle word is encouraging and not belittling. The goal is growth even beyond my authority, instead of keeping them diminished and under my control. When we abuse authority, we try to keep people under our control instead of allow them to grow, grow and become the trees of life that it says here. This is why it says a gentle word, the word is like a tree of life. The goal of authority isn't to kill something or to keep it unhealthy or just to keep it under control. The goal for life, it, the goal for wise words is to give a life that will flourish, for health to be present, for growth to be happening. If you're placed in authority over something, it's not for you to control, it's for you to grow. One of the most life-training tasks in our lives is just trying to maintain authority over something that doesn't want to be controlled. That's a hard task. We have some teachers in here that teach like in elementary school, and I pr pray for you guys all the time because I can imagine what that task is like sometimes, trying to control kids who don't want to be controlled. Like, I don't know how you get 25, 30, 
four-year-olds and six-year-olds to sit in a desk at the same time. That seems like an impossible task to me, but sometimes we try to do the same thing, and players says we're an authority. We're like, just do what I say, and we don't direct, we don't encourage. And this is where we don't allow the tree, the tree of life to grow, to produce fruit on its own. And the way we do it is we actually do what it says in the second part of the verse. It says, but in perverseness, it is the breaks the spirit. And what foolish words do in authority is they diminish. They diminish people. The second part of this verse tells us that foolish words, when we're in a position of authority, instead of bringing life, their goal is to break the spirit, to simply maintain control. This is bad authority. This is the picture we see so often of what we've personally experienced in our life and what makes us want to run from authority. Maybe we've been a victim of a manipulating spouse, a demeaning boss, a controlling friend, or even an abusive parent. But too many times, instead of breaking that cycle and start using wise words when we're in authority, when we have a chance to actually be the one in charge, we simply mimic what was the bad behaviors that were shown to us. When I get there, I'm going to show you how it feels. And that diminishes people. It breaks the spirit. Not just their spirit, but it eventually breaks your spirit as well. Look at the word the writer uses here to describe the words. In this case, he says they are perverse. The word means crooked or maligned. It means that we use words to harm, corrupt, and diminish other people. Our goal is to break their spirit instead of build their life. Why do we do this? I think there are a couple of primary reasons that we allow this to come into fruition in our life. And the first is this. We thirst for power and control. I mean, just if we're honest with each other, we like that you often have power and control. We want it more than anything else sometimes. This is why we use it, often use authority to diminish people, make them our servants and slaves instead of our friends and loved ones. We look at our kids as an object to be control, controlled instead of a child to be raised. We look at a spouse as an object of my pleasure rather than a helpmate for life. We look at our employees as tools for my desires rather than people to grow and develop. This is the core at the abuse of authority. But the second thing is this, is we long for significance. We long for significance. We think that if we are in control and we have power, then we'll be the source, that will be our source of significance. I'll accomplish something. The acclaim and accolades that we so want will come our way. People will look at us with awe and reverence. Our lives will be meaningful. But when we use perverse words to exercise authority, we may find notoriety or fame, but it doesn't mean that we actually found significance. People look at us with fear instead of awe, anger instead of admiration, contempt instead of reverence. And we eventually have destroyed the very people that we were trying to lead in this. I want us to stop for a minute and think about how we exercise authority. How do you exercise it in your home? How do you exercise it at your place of work, school, and other relationships? Because I think if we're honest, I know if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I fall way too into that foolish category of just trying to use control and power and find my significance and how many people I'm leading and what I'm doing. Why? I think the problem is, is that we often have a problem with trust. We don't trust anyone as much as we trust ourselves to be the authority in our own lives. So we diminish everyone else and we elevate ourselves. And we even do this with our Creator God. With our, with our own God. We don't make God the authority of our lives because we don't trust Him. When is the last time you gave God a chance to prove His trustworthiness to you? To allow Him to speak with gentle words of correction 
teaching, direction, and encouragement. I think we don't trust God as an authority in our lives because we have never given him the opportunity to actually be the authority in our lives. We say, oh, I'll pray about it, but really all we're doing is checking something off so we can say I prayed about it and then I can really do what I want to do. I've, known, I've done that, fallen in that trap many times. So I can tell somebody, why are you doing Well, I prayed about it. I didn't really wait for an answer, but I prayed about it. I just started to do what I want to do. I exercised my own authority. I want to ask you, would you invite God to actually exercise his authority and his trustworthiness in your life? There's a flip side to this coin in Proverbs 15:5, and it says this, A fool despises his father's instruction. Whoever heeds reproof is prudent. And I want to quickly talk about this other side of the coin because as much as we may like being an authority, there's another position we're often in, and it's the position of submission. When we experience submission in relationships, as we'll often be an authority, we will just as often be in submission. And learning to live under submission is just as important as learning to exercise authority. And he says there's a couple ways to do that here. He says, 5A, the fool despises his father's instruction. The foolish way when you're under submission with somebody is all you do is argue. Argue. That's what it, that's what it means to despise your father's instruction. You hear something spoken into you, whether it's from a father or another authority figure, and your immediate thought is contempt. They're like, let me think why this is not true. Let me figure out what I disagree with about this first. And if I can find one thing I can disagree with about all of this, I'm going to throw it all out. And this is how we, the foolish way of living in submission. The truth is this. No one is perfect. There is no authority in your life that will always be right. But that also doesn't mean that every authority in your life will always be wrong. What I want you to hear this morning is life is not a debate or an argument to win. Instead, it is an opportunity to grow and take the wisdom offered to you by others, use it in your own life, and then pass it on to other people. That's what submission does. It says, I am able to learn from you so that I can learn it, use it, and then eventually teach it to somebody else. But the reason most of us get stuck and we have this where we don't feel like we're growing in our life is because we are fools who despise instruction from an authority. We hear something, it challenges the way we think, it challenges us to grow, and we say, no, I disagree with that, I don't understand it, I'm going to argue with it, and I'm going to throw it out of my life. And we can do that. You can do that for the most part of your life. And if you do, you're not going to grow that tree of life that was mentioned earlier. You're going to stay stuck. You're going to be where you are. You're going to be playing the same cycle over and over in your life. Can I tell you, if you catch yourself in a cycle in your life of like the same things happening, you know, I'm tried this and then somebody disagreed with me. They told me to try this and I, was, nah, I disagreed. And then it's just this cycle. You become a fool who's just, who despises instruction. But it says there's a different way. He says, but whoever then heeds reproof is prudent, is prudent. And the wise way to live in submission is to actually take the words that are given to us and investigate them, to use them. The concept of heeding proof means that you take correction or new insight that is given to you and you investigate it. You look at it deeply. You mine it for gold that can add value to your character. It's taking the words of reproof that may hurt you when you first hear them and instead of discarding them, you draw the truth out of them that can bring healing 
to your life. The simplest way to look at this is this. To despise instruction means that we look at correction as a price we have to pay. Somebody reproves us, somebody corrects us, and we're like, oh, I've got to pay a price. They're trying to get something from me. Instead, heeding reproof means that we look at correction as an investment made in our character. Somebody had, a, had enough thought for us that they saw us going in the wrong direction, they saw a way that we could grow, and they spoke truth into our life, and they invested in us, even if we don't like what they said. The absolute truth is this. No one has grown without reproof or correction. It is a must in our lives. Do not run from submission, but instead make every effort to submit yourself to the right kind of authorities in your life. I want to close this morning with verse 7. The last thought, and it's this. The lips of the wise, it says, spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. And as much as we've talked about being in conflict with people and giving counsel to people and now being in authority and submission, I think this one that we'll close with, this situation is one that we most often find ourselves in, most often tempted to either act wisely or foolishly. And it talks about here spreading knowledge or spreading things that you know. And it's this idea of how we deal with information that we come to know in other people's lives. In every relationship, you're going to learn some information about somebody. Even in the most casual relationships, you'll gain information and insights about how that person acts. With our, as our relationships grow more meaningful and deeper, we'll come to possess information on that person that is often private, personal, and privileged. You will see how they react in good times and in bad times. You'll see their strengths of character and their weaknesses. And all this information can cause us, if we allow it, to connect with them at deeper levels. But too often, we can actually start to use that information to harm, to hurt, manipulate, and control people. We find their weak spots, their vulnerable areas, and instead of protecting them, we expose them for our own growth and advancement. This is foolish. When you have a chance to talk about someone else, how do you use your words? What do you think about? Somebody says, what do you think about this person? I've heard this. I heard they said this. I heard they did this. When these opportunities come, we have a choice to make to either act in wisdom or in foolishness. In verse 7, the part of it says, the wise way is to use lips that speak and spread knowledge. And wise words in this situation are discernment. You actually have discernment. What does it mean to spread knowledge? Spreading knowledge is very different than just spreading information. Anybody can spread information. Information can often be shared without context, without history, and without understanding. But spreading knowledge is telling the whole truth, the complete story, and this is discernment. Discernment means that I should use words in one of two ways. The first one is this, is maybe you shouldn't use words at all. Maybe you shouldn't say anything. Sometimes the most discerning way to spread knowledge is to not say something. There's an old World War II saying, uh, I wasn't around then, but it said, ah, loose, you've heard this, loose lips, what? Sink ships. All right, there's actually a poster. They're loose lips. That's the American version. There was a German version of the exact same thing. And I can't read German, but I can tell you what that means. It actually means shut up, blabbermouth. That's exactly what it means. It just means stop talking. Sometimes not saying anything, if you say something, harm is going to happen. Like you might not even be intentionally saying something, but just trying to defend somebody, just trying to stand in the gap, sometimes is going to bring harm. And some of the best things we can do sometimes is just stop talking. Don't say anything. 
People are looking for you to provide information. Someone's fishing for gossip, for information, for ammunition. They want to be able to quote you, to take part of what you said and bring harm to the other person. Sometimes even in trying to defend them, you'll end up giving out vital information. Sometimes the best words are no words at all. But the second way we can speak when we do need to use words is to speak with clarity. The second way to be discerning is to speak so you can bring clarity to the situation. When there's confusion about a person and their intent and their actions, we have knowledge that can help diminish that confusion, then we should speak. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't use innuendos and half-truths. Instead, speak boldly and honestly, not with intent to harm or to manipulate, but to bring truth, help, and clarity. And that doesn't mean we can't ever say, well, I've had a bad experience with this person. Or you should be aware of this. Every time I get a call, and I get calls a lot of different times for recommendations for people, whether it's for a job or different things, and, and when, when they ask, hey, I'm going to ask for your recommendation that you would share, I won't share with them what you're going to tell me. I'm like, oh, no. I said, anything that I share with you, I want you to know you can share with the person that's calling, that, that you're getting this recommendation on. Because I don't want them to feel like I'm hiding, that I have any other agenda. What I'm sharing, you can share with that person, good and bad. And I've had people call me and say, why didn't you, why did you tell them about that? I was like, because it was true. I'm not, it was, it was impactful. It brought clarity in that moment. It doesn't mean I'm going around telling this person all the time, but it was in that one moment. And so we have to bring clarity. Now all of you are like, I'm never putting Patrick down for a reference <laughs> for here. The second thing that it says, though, so what's the opposite? What's the flip side of this coin? It says, this is not soul with a heart of fools. Hearts of fools are... They use foolish words, and what those words are negligent. The words of a fool lack discernment and instead are negligent. Foolish words about other people don't think about context or consequence. The heart of fools use information as one of two things. A commodity, they collect information so they can trade it and use it for something else down the road. They don't take responsibility for their words. They just throw it out like it's a commodity. It's cheap. They say, well, I just answered the question. I didn't mean it to be taken that way. I didn't think you would share it with anyone else. Information to them is a cheap commodity to increase their own social standing. And the second thing with fools, they use words and information as a weapon. Information is a weapon to them. They strategically gather information about people, store it up, bundle it with other information, and when the time is right, they use that information in a, in a way to get what they want and to protect themselves. This happens in marriages, families, friendships, in the workplace, People use their words and intimate information about others to destroy people. Why do we fall in this trap? Those two enemies that we talked about a few weeks ago show up. Pride and envy. We want to make ourselves better. Look better, be better than anybody else. They show up. So my question for you today is this. Will you remember the wisdom of the Lord? This whole series comes down to you having to decide where you will look for wisdom. Will you look in your own hearts and minds or in the heart and the mind of the Lord? The one who created us, the one who created all things and understands the relationship between all things. Will you choose to remember wisdom or embrace folly? Today, in this question, as we talk about this question, will you remember the wisdom of the Lord? We're going to close in an act of remembrance today. Communion is an opportunity to remind ourselves both of the sacrifice that Christ made for us but also of the wisdom we experience when we submit our lives to Him. 
Communion is an act designed for those that have submitted their life to Christ. That has said, I'm trying to follow him. Doesn't have to be perfect. That means you can't have made a mistake today or this week. It just means that you're trying to live your life in such a way to, to trust him and to follow him and get to know him. And so in a minute, I'm going to invite you to come down. If you've never taken communion with us before, in a minute, Drew will begin playing. You can come down, grab a piece of the bread, dip it in the, the juice and take it. You can do it together as a couple or a family. You can do it individually. But as you do today, I want to ask you to think about something as you do this. Take the bread and wine and remind yourself that our true source of pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope, and the source of all wisdom, is not something that is already inside of us, but it is in something that we take into us from the Lord. The wisdom of the Lord is something not already in us, but that we take in and becomes part of who we are. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? As we close our time of service, and we'll just have music playing as we take our communion, and then I'll pray for us at the end. Would you use this as a time of remembrance? Would you remember that wisdom is not found in my heart, in my mind, in my thoughts, in my ways? It's when I connect myself to the sacrifice of Christ, the wisdom of the Lord, and submit myself to, the, to His Lordship, and follow him wherever he leads. God, would you take this time this morning of remembrance, and would you allow us to remember that we are taking not only your sacrifice in this morning, but your wisdom as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.